IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we'll be answering questions from you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, I know this isn't a IndieCast Hall of Fame episode, but I do think we need to draw back to like last week and make a honorary induction for Doug Emhoff. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what this guy's job will entail as a second husband over the next four to eight years or what have you. But in his signature moment, like his first moment, maybe even his only moment, he was, you know, essentially handed America's aux cord and you know, pulled rank to have the new radicals play the inauguration, like to reunite for the first time in 22 years. And I, I just can't help but think that he is spiritually an indie cast listener, you know, the type of dude who in 1998 oh, yeah. would uh, loop his win amp to play, uh, you know, get you get what you give. Or in the case of me, you know, if I were in his position, the flies got you where I want you. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think of like I just think of like what '90s one-hit wonders I would bring to the table. You know, maybe Flagpole Sitta. I think that would also be appropriate. Right. I mean, I think if my, it, I think if my wife was elected vice president, I would have busted out like like wax ecstatic. Oh yeah, at the uh, inauguration. I think maybe you know maybe a couple sponge tunes. Yeah, you know? I think they'd be. Ha- I think, I think they'd be. Yeah, I think they'd be ready for it. You know, like uh, they represent Michigan, which is a key swing state. Exactly. But yeah, exactly. Heartland of America. <laughs> uh, you're appealing to like disgruntled Trump voters in that state who, you know, instead of storming another capital, they're going to see Sponge on television and they're going to feel that, oh, this is the party of reaching across the aisle. And uh, yeah, they're bringing back Sponge. This is great. I don't want to imply that Sponge is all right. Like, can we can we just like put that out there? No. <laughs> They have a they have a broad coalition. Yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting anything about Sponge in particular. I'm just saying that they you know like many '90s alt rock acts, they had a broad coalition. Yeah. You have Democrats, you have Republicans. Yeah, you have urban dwellers, you have rural people, mm-hmm. all coming in together because they liked rotting pinata. <laughs> you know, a lot lot of bangers on that record. Absolutely. Can I just say too that like the name Second Husbands is just sitting out there for some indie band. Oh, absolutely. To take a, as a band name, I, I think that'd be a pretty good. Uh, band name because I mean is that the official title second husband I, I actually do, I, I don't know and you know perhaps in the next five minutes or so I'll draw up enough interest to look it up but let's go with second husband I think that's I do think that or the vice hus I I, I really don't know I don't even know what Doug Emhoff well, because looks like, like. They, they they say first lady yes. so would it be like second guy like you're the Se- second this, guy this, you're the second dude the second dude isn't like I think that is that's that's kind of been the dream job for a lot of like indie people you know just kind of having that sense of power but also just like kind of hanging back I'm just hoping he gets into some hijinks. He, I love his name too. He just sounds like a guy that works in your office, Doug Emhoff. Hey, Doug, yeah, down in sales, Emhoff. You know, it's just it's such a regular dude. But now he's you know in the White House with you know he's helping Kamala do her job. You know, serving America yeah. in his way. By the way, like this is the first episode of the of the post Trump era, and 
maybe it's wrong to define this era still in terms of Trump, but I still feel like, you know, all due respect to Joe Biden, I'm glad that he's the president, but I, I, I did find it funny and interesting that like on Inauguration Day, I saw way more photos of Bernie Sanders <laughs> than of, uh, and it was just the same photo, yeah. but you know, way more of Bernie than than Joe. Way more memeable, so, man. You know, way more memeable. But maybe that's his point. His point is not to be in the media. It's just to be this old man <laughs> that is going to be in the White House, not causing a ruckus, and we can continue to meme like other things now. Like to me, like that Bernie Sanders thing is like, is that what Twitter's going to be now? Instead of just people rage tweeting about trump it's just going to be like fun memes it, about bernie and like indie rock content. Nah, it's going to be that and it's also going to still be like rather than like comparing every political thing to harry potter it's going to be like kind of avengers fanfic it's going to it's going to be insufferable uh, and i'm actually kind of thinking it's going to be so insufferable that this may be like where twitter finally dies out so you know, fingers crossed. I guess I don't know. We're we're at the we're, we're at the we're at the we're at the precipice of a bold new era, and you know, IndieCast is always going to be the first to tell you about what's happening on that precipice. Has it been uh, decided yet if Joe Biden is good or bad for punk rock? <laughs> like, what's the punk rock? What's the punk rock heat check right now? Uh, uh, with, with with in the Biden years? Yeah, I don't know. M- most punks are too busy, like you know, putting Bernie on uh, the Bernie meme on in front of like a merch table or like on classic album covers. So when, when once they finally get that out of their system, we can get a sense of like whether or not. It, I mean, because if you look at like what the inauguration was, in a lot of ways, it had a very late '90s sort of flavor to it. So um, right, I'm trying to like. What what was not? I think maybe we'll see like a real pop punk revival or something. But I, I, who's to say, man? Yeah, I, I wonder if there's going to be like Obama Corps. You yeah, know, like a, you know, like the like the first Obama administration, like things that were popular. Yeah, in like the late aughts, if that's going to yeah. be a thing, because people are just nostalgic for like the pre-Trump yeah era or so the now, late nineties. You know, it's going to be you know, like. Yeah, late late night. Yeah, late nineties or or late aughts. Like, because you had, um, you know, New Radicals come back. Foo Fighters. Maybe they should have had like, they had Foo Fighters. Maybe they should have had Pete, uh, Peter Bjorn and John in there too, doing Young Folks. Uh, that was actually that was Do, actually uh, Bush era though. Was that two thousand six? That's true. Two thousand six. Oh, you're right. Yeah, man. I. Yeah, the this is yeah the blog rock era <laughs> was mostly Bush. Yeah, I guess that's right. So Bush was great for blog rock. I <laughs> guess like he he was great for blog rock. Obama killed blog rock. Yeah. I guess. And then Americana um, and like you know like uh, indie folk or arena folk. Yeah. Ugh, chill wave. That's true. That 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 makes sense. Like with Obama and like Mumford and Sons being big. That very earnest. Yeah. And like uplifting kind of music, yeah. you know, like I feel like whenever the Obamas are on television now, like that inspirational, like Oprah orchestra type music comes on and it's like very uplifting. And I feel like we're going to get a lot of that. And I could see that becoming like a little tiresome at some point, um, you know, because even like I was happy that Biden was elected. But some of the commentary, it's like, OK, let's calm down. We're still in a pandemic. Yeah. We're still facing like a climate c- catastrophe. You know, there's a lot of things but the orange, facing the, us that we have to deal the with. the bad orange Cheeto man is gone, said my non-existent two-year-old daughter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, hey, we're having some political talk here. Yeah. We're veering a little bit into political talk. So maybe we should get out of there and get into our mailbag here. We're doing a mailbag episode. This, I think I can speak for you in that. Like, I love our mailbag episodes. I love having conversations with our listeners. Mm. We have great listeners. They always come up with great questions. True. Uh, so yeah, this is always a pleasure yes. to converse with, 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 our, with our people, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Met, men of the people. That's what we are. <laughs> that's right we're not hiding behind you know national guard yeah. and and barracks we're we're, you we're, know, extre- we're not afraid we're extremely easy to find <laughs> we are yeah. uh so let's get to our first question here this comes from greg greg thank you for writing in he says 2020 felt like a big year for a critical reassessment of new metal i was wondering will ska another malign genre from the 90s and early 2000s get the same treatment I'm thinking specifically about third wave ska bands like Real Big Fish, Less Than Jake, The Mighty Mighty Bostones, etc. Seems like the lack of continuing impact and the way these bands didn't take themselves too seriously might be working against a resurgence. Uh, can I also do a, a shout out to Mustard Plug? Always. Does anyone remember? Do you remember Mustard Plug? <laughs> of course I remember Mustard Plug. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I always mix their songs up with Real Big Fish because Real Big Fish did um, sell out. They did sell out. Song, sell and out. beer. That was another big one. That was the one. My, it, that that was yes. the one my first year uh, roommate at college really loved. Oh yeah. Oh my God. You're really catering to like <laughs> the like 16 to 20 year old demographic. If you have a song, yeah, more people need to have songs called beer. Like if you want, <laughs> if you're a, like an indie band and you're struggling. Just write songs about beer. Yeah. Oh, I. I mean, I guess. I guess there are a lot of bands that do that already. Yeah. But anyway. Oh, n- like they they um, they do it like kind of peripherally. Like it's beer music, but not so explicitly about beer. Real big fish. They just they 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 knew they knew their audience. Yeah, and they and I feel like they were directed at teenagers. I feel like a lot of the beer songs now are like by. You know, and and I say this with affection because I li- I like a lot of these bands, but they're like guys in their mid thirties yeah. talking to like other, you know, sort of like cool dads drinking in their backyard. Craft brew core, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but like the real big fish. I was like, they're talking to people that maybe have never had a beer yeah. before, or like, or sneaking beers, exactly. And that's a, like another demographic that is maybe not being addressed. Um, I don't know, like I don't know how you feel about this. The first thing I thought about when I read this question was Jeff Rosenstock. Yes, because I feel like J- Jeff is the one. I you know I've talked to him about ska. I feel like ska comes up in his other interviews. He's already in a ska band. <laughs> he's in a ska band, and like on his own records, there are usually like a couple ska band, a, a couple ska songs or ska adjacent songs on his record. So he he's definitely flying that flag unashamedly. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. I feel like ska always kind of exists in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it bubbles up a little bit, but I feel like there's always like some kind of ska mm-hmm. thing going on, which is maybe a little bit different than new metal. I feel like new metal is more associated with with a specific, you know, decade moment in time. Yeah. But you know, ska associated with the '90s, obviously, you know, started in the '70s. You know, there were ska bands in the '80s. I feel like it always kind of exists. I'm I'm from Appleton, Wisconsin. We had a festival called Scoppleton, of course. <laughs> that like it's called Scoppleton that existed like well after the '90s sort of fad faded, and there were like people that were really into it, you know, because it's like fun dance music basically. So you go out, you have a good time listening to it. Um, 
But I guess this this listener is asking, like, will music critics ah. be doing like think pieces on ska and like you know Sunday reviews on you know uh, uh, on the real is that real big fish record called Sellout? Is no, that the oh god, it, the name escapes me. But um, I, I I know it. I can see the album cover in my in my oh, yeah. in my roommate's uh, disc. Uh, you know, like it's his uh, CD tower alongside like several Guster albums and like Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. Um, yeah, it, it's turn the radio turn off. Turn the radio turn the radio off. off. Oh, is the big God, one. is the big one. Yes, that is the one. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah. 1996. <laughs> I, that's the big yeah. one. That that that's the Sunday Review <laughs> choice if you're gonna do like a ska revival yeah. type critical. Or, or let's face it, by you know the mighty mighty boss tones. That was like that was I, that was one of the big breaks because that was the one with the impression that I get. But um, you know I, I'm right. looking at on, on my bookshelf. As we speak, an advanced copy of a book called *In Defense of Ska*. Um, it, ah. it was sent to me because uh, the author Aaron Carnes, you know, thought I'd be the type of person who'd be amenable to a ska revival. And like, here's the thing: like, um, I don't know. Like, I think ska is like kind of fun to debate. It's kind of fun to hacky sack around. Like, because like, unlike new metal or like you know some of the other genres that have been uh, re- rehabilitated in the past several years, like. Ska was, it, it was big in the late 90s, but it was never like the sound of the culture the same way, like new metal or like, you know, Nickelback or like any of these other things that like are assumed to be bad. And so you can talk about it without any real threat of it coming back because even before, like, you know, even before, like right now, it's hard to make a ska band because you need like eight people in it. And a lot of these bands that we talk about, like, you know, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, Less than Jake, of course. Um, Real big fish. I mean, they were like touring. They were relentless touring machines before they ever got popular. And so, both of those are really, really tough to do in the modern in in the modern era. So, I think there are like little bits and pieces of Scott coming back. I think of the band Bad Operation. Uh, that's out on Community Records. It's a band that kind of does more like indie rock out of new orleans there's the scottoon network i'm a huge fan of the scottoon network which is um you know it's a youtube channel that does ska covers of uh you know like american football modest mouse some 41 i think the scottoon network cover of the world is a beautiful place january 10th 2014 is damn near definitive um but i i think in in the in that there's maybe not going to be a new like real big fish they like there's not going to be a popular Scott band for whatever reason i think the format of tiktok could make it possible that like certain ska songs can have a new moment because it's such a distinct dress style it has such a distinct language and a such a distinct rhythm that you could just make like a video dancing over it for a minute and that would be enough so i do think maybe yeah. we'll start to see Scott infiltrate in that way um and i I don't know. I think that like ska is it's something that people kind of have more of a positive. It's like embarrassing in some ways for people, but it's not seen as like this cultural like, you know, this like pox on our culture the way, say, like new metal was. So I think. Yeah, I, 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 I think people like associate new metal with like, you know, 
actually destructive yes. things. <laughs> I think in a like like unfairly, I think in a lot of ways. But like with ska, people have kind of a jokey yeah. attitude about it. But it is also like infectious fun music. Mm. I mean, it's hard to uh, I, you'll be angry at ska. <laughs> Maybe you find it annoying if you hear it. But like it's you hear it and like if you just give yourself over to it. Uh, it is fun. Like it, again, it's it, it's dance music. It's social music. It is the kind of thing that I think even now, like as we're all in this quarantine, like wouldn't it be kind of fun to go to a Scott concert with a bunch of friends yeah. and drink too much and you know do that kind of thing? It seems kind of fun at this point. I have to say too, I'm just going to put this out in the world: a very sort of deconstructive, sensitive indie folk cover. Of beer <laughs> by Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, maybe, maybe that that's what like a viral. Maybe video. that's what it is. Like maybe we just like she's got like the Midas touch right now. If if Phoebe Bridgers right. like gives her uh, okay to ska, maybe that's what like maybe that's what's going to happen in 2021. Like we will just have uh, right. an entirely new outlook on Less Than Jake. Who, by the way, like you know, being from Gainesville. Uh, they're all there's always that ska um, undertone to like fest and that festival. So uh, it, it never goes away. But like, I think it's been there's I, I would say a not zero possibility that we might see like also like a band like Just Friends. I have to give those guys a mention. Um, they're like kind of, they're sort of kind of in the emo world. Like they are straight up ska um, and you know, I think they're putting out a new EP soon, so uh, maybe they're the ones who break big. I I don't know, but you know what? Like it's it, it's I'm open to it. <laughs> it it's yeah, it's I fun. Too. It's I, different. You know, it's something new to talk about. Exactly, and you know, again, I'm all for music that has a good heart yeah. and is just trying to make people. F- it's just trying to make people feel good you know which i think is what ska essentially is and so i'm in support of that i also will say that like even if you're not a ska band i love the idea of just having someone in your band Mm -hmm. who doesn't play anything but just like dances around yes bet like i think there's there's like a lot of dour bands (laughs) out there or kind of boring bands that are good but they're boring live if you had like one dude who's just like infectious and danced around it would add so much to your life that's from the happy mondays man that's that's Happy Mondays. Yes, he, they had one. Yes. Uh, what was the guy's name in Boston's? It was Ed or something. I forget. But yeah, he he was the dan- <laughs> he was the dancing dude, and it was and even like as they all like push past fifty, and like Dickie Barrett is this like emissary in Boston, still there, still dancing after all these yeah. years. Yeah, good for him, man. I love yeah. it. All right, moving on to our second question. This comes from Alex. Alex says. Uh, Hey, Stephen Ian, huge fan of the pod. This is pretty much the only podcast I listen to. Wow, Alex, that's yeah. awesome. Thank you for that. We can that. end it right there. Um, <laughs> o- yeah, there we go. Uh, he says, I've always been a fan of records like Spiritualized, Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space, or Talk Talk, Spirit of Eden, where it seems that the label just gave these people a huge budget to do whatever the hell they wanted. What group slash artists today would you most want to see a label give a blank check in five years to make a record, regardless of whether you think they'd make something incredible or their Chinese democracy. Even though I'm not the biggest fan, I'd love to see what the 1975 would put out in this scenario. Don't they do that with every record? I guess it's not five years, but I, I, it's like, I feel like that band, you don't really need to like imagine what their sort of expansive, excessive Absolutely not. record would be. I think Matt... Like, I want to see what their paired back record would be. I think that would be sort of the sort of interesting thing with that yeah. band at this point but 
that's a that's another that's a rabbit hole that maybe we don't want to go down into uh, with this question. But, but like, 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 who would you? This is a good question. Like, who would you want to see in this scenario? Yeah, I mean, we all roads seem to lead to the 1975 during our mailbag. But um, yeah, I mean, for for me. I, I get where Alex is coming from as far as like what sort of bands you would like to see, like throwing a lot of money. I would like to think that like on the low, this is what's happening with the hotel year right now. But like the last time a label guy tried to throw them a lot of money, it was Martin Shkreli. So I just think that they're pretty much done. <laughs> I think they're pretty much done with like, um, you know, the, the music industry at this point, but I'll, in some way, like I don't, you don't think of like a lot of these like emo bands as like ones that would benefit from being given a lot of money. But I also would like that because so many of these bands that I love, you'll see them on Twitter talking about like having to like you know take time off from making the record to work at their real jobs or like you know they have to quit the band because you know it's just not financially tenable. So uh, you know I'd love to see like you what foxing might come up with if like all the guys in the band were like you know financially secure or the same with like you know the world is a beautiful place like if they just had time to focus on the music um which i i think that the pressure of you know having a lot going on life can lead to great music but also with these sort of records that uh, alice is talking about it's like you also want like a label that's just gonna like willing to bankrupt itself on behalf of your difficult art. But, you know, the ones I think of, um, you know, with, with spiritualized talk, talk, you have to think about like acts that are already kind of like artistic or that bad word, but like ones that have a, a, a yen for evolution and they like to, they're kind of standoffish in some ways. Um, the ones that come up to me are like young Jesus and big thief, because when you look at like how they, uh, operate as musicians. They love to evolve and kind of throw away old ideas. Um, and I think that they try to regenerate their sound with every album. And if they were to take like five years off, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I would love to hear about like where they take themselves musically. Um, but I also think that like both of those bands are extremely enamored with process uh, and they they just like to put out whatever they record, and and especially with like Young Jesus, where like improvisation and capturing mistakes is like part of the appeal. So I don't know if like they would actually be okay with that. Um, but I want to give a brief shout out to um, these new Puritans, which is a band that like pretty much did talk talk uh, in real time, like in 2010 and 2013 with Hidden and Field of Reeds. Uh, I don't know if they like bankrupted Domino or like how much money they were given because a lot of it was synthesizers. But like those two albums are very much in that lineage of, you know, they were they were like a, a kind of a wiry post-punk album band on their first album. And then they make Hidden in 2010, which has like Japanese taiko drums and like, you know, choruses of like, you know, like boys choruses and like the world's deepest voice. And just like all of these weird musical trick shots that they have no intention to tour it. Um, and they kind of just like don't. And, and for some reason, it ended up soundtracking a Victoria's Secret ad. But, you know, these new Puritans are like a band that seems like the most obvious obvious uh, descendants of Talk Talk. And Feel the Reese especially because they just got rid of all the guitars, all the um, synthesizers, all like the drum machines and just made like a really pretty orchestral album that um, just had no commercial potential. But 
but the the thing about them is that they didn't sacrifice their um, pop appeal the way Talk Talk did. Nonetheless, if like Alex, if you haven't heard these new Puritans, I would go with those. I, I want to go back to what you were saying about Big Thief yeah. because I think that's like a pretty great answer to this question for me because. You're right. I mean, they have changed musically over the course of like their four albums or so, but I feel like in terms of using the studio, they haven't really done a whole lot with that yet. It seems like you said, like they record things quickly and they put them out and it's really about, you know, using recording in a very sort of straightforward utilitarian way. And as much as I love that band, and especially I love their first two records, I do feel like because of this way that they're working, I, I I wonder if they are going to kind of run into this like diminishing returns at some point where to me, like their records are starting to seem like a little samey. Mm. And, you know, we've compared them to Wilco before on this show. And I would love to see them attempt something like a Summer Teeth or a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, like where they really kind of use the studio as an instrument and like take their songs sonically in like a much different and more expansive direction because I think their songs are great, but they're not always presented to me to their fullest potential. So like, I think like in this kind of scenario, like where maybe they didn't just put out an album every six or, you know, eight months and they spent not even five years, spend like a year (laughs) or two making like a record, uh, you know, that was just, kind of weird and like expansive sounding I, I i would really love to hear a record like that from big thief i also have to give uh a shout out you know in the name of indycast core <laughs> to like i think for me like one of the great sort of like anthemic rock bands on the planet right now and that's gang of youth yes. um who um already make you know similar to the 1975 they already make these sort of huge sounding records like their last record go farther in lightness has you know just grand string sections and like very epic sounding songs. But um, I would love for them to be in this scenario, like where they had like a huge budget and they could spend a long time and, you know, maybe work with like hundred piece orchestras (laughs) and, you know, just make something just incredible sounding like a cross between like pet sounds and the Joshua tree. You know, I think if any band on the planet could pull that off right now, it'd be gang. Didn't they they already do that on the last album though? Like I, they, well, they did. We, uh, they did, but like you know, I, I don't know. Even more so, like just double down. Yeah. Like God. really go. You know, you mentioned you mentioned Chinese democracy before. Maybe make like two use your illusion type albums. Oh. You know, like a band, like something like that, where uh, where it's almost too much. You know, like I, I would love like a almost too much type record yeah. from them or or, or set of I would records. like I think a, that would be really I would like great. a record from them cuz it already has been like 4 years so As, I guess yeah. yeah I guess that was 17 wow okay yeah I wonder what they're up to we got to drop Dave a line yeah. I want to see what Dave's up to down there in Australia <laughs> um moving on to question 3 this question is also from Alex but it's a different Alex we have a lot of Alexes hmm. out in our listenership uh, the Alex constituency is strong uh, with, with IndieCast. Um, Alex asks, here's a question I've been puzzling over for a few years. When you decide to check out a band or artist with a decently sized catalog for the first time, where do you start and how do you listen? Do you start by scanning the top tracks on streaming platforms? 
you go to the most recent release, the oldest release, the top album suggested by the platform, wherever. Are you comfortable skipping around, not even finishing songs to get a sense of the artist? I've noticed that when I encounter the situation, I, I often start by going with the most recent release to see what that artist is feeling at the moment. But this method seems insane when I think about all the amazing aughts acts I would pass up on if I just listened to the most recent release. And Alex mentions Land of Talk, Owen, Real Estate, and also Arcade Fire and, and The Killer. So, you know, which I, and I think that's true. I think a lot of times, especially if it is an artist who's been around for like, say, maybe 20, 25 years, yeah, maybe you don't want to check out the most recent <laughs> release. You want to go a little bit deeper. But I mean, this is a good question. I feel like this is like a good sort of pragmatic thing that a lot of people go through, you know, like where you hear about a legacy artist all the time. Maybe you hear about it on the show, you read about it, and you're like, well, I want to check this person out, but like, where do I start? They have like 10 albums. They have 15 albums. Uh, what would you suggest to this person? So when I first really started having like, quote unquote, phases where I would find an artist with a very deep, intimidating catalog and like try to work my way through it, um, <laughs> well, I just remember looking on all music guide, like this is one of the more trustworthy like sources for music information back in like 2001, where I'd be like really bored at work and there just wasn't that much internet to look at. And what I love about all music guide is that it hasn't really changed all much that much since then. Like it does give a pretty good um, concept of like, which are the classics, which are like the maybes um, and which are like the, you know, for like taster's choice only. Um, and I honestly feel like that's kind of the way to go. It really just depends on like what my purpose is uh, in terms of discovering a new act. Like if it's an artist who I just haven't listened to and I feel like they might appeal to me, like I'll start with the classics. Like I'll start with the one that sounds like I need to know this album in order to understand who that person was and as as hard as it is for me to grasp that someone might have to like work backwards through arcade fires discography it has been 17 years since a funeral so you know that does make sense but usually like i do start with like the five star album and i try to work my way through it um and then like i just try to recreate what i did back in my cd buying days which is that like you would find some way to get the classics. You know, with Bruce Springsteen, like, Born in the USA is something I had already heard more or less through radio over exposure. And so I would go to the UCD store and see which ones were in there um, and go with that and, you know, just kind of give them my attention. Um, but I think, you know, for even now in 2021, like, All Music Guide is just such a great resource as far as, like, kind of getting a sense of like which ones might appeal to you as a listener. Because I think when you're talking about like artists with such a wide ranging catalog, um, they're, they're, you're going to have like this sense of like, which of these is worth your time and which one, you know, are you just doing because people say you are. And, you know, uh, for me, like P Prince is a great example. Like, I, I didn't need to buy Purple Rain. I didn't need to buy, uh, you know, Sign of the Times. But, like, around the world in the day, like, those ones where you're just like, oh, cool, there's a Prince CD in the UCD rack, and I've never heard of it. Like, or The Cure's uh, The Top, for example. Like, I think it's oftentimes 
more fun to start with like the the albums that like get the two star reviews or what have you uh as far as starting with the most recent one um that i i I don't know i i don't think that's like the best way oftentimes to like do a deep dive within an artist but you know the good news is you can do this pretty much for free i mean i can't think of like how many uh how many dollars i threw away in the early 2000s when i didn't have much money to spend because i really felt like uh maybe i need to give lucky town not a chance or whatever that other one was. Uh, what was that other Bruce Springsteen? Oh, Lucky Town's good. It, 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 Human Touch Human is garbage. Touch, but Lucky Town's pretty yeah, solid. Anyway, yeah, but you know, yeah. And look, I'll just second the Owl Music Guide recommendation. That's a great place to go uh, to just get like the basic information about an artist and, and to get clues on where you might want to start. You know, you mentioned like the five star album. You know, that is a good place to start often. Although I will say that like when we're talking about like really canonical artists who um get played a lot like on the radio classic rock radio you know like a bruce springsteen for instance you know sometimes like if you go like right to born to run or born in the usa it can be a little boring to start with those records because like you might feel like you've heard all those songs before they might have created like an image in your mind of who that person is that uh is really fixed and can be hard to get over. And, and sometimes I think if you start with just the classic, it can end there, yeah. you know, because you feel like, well, I, 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 I've, I've heard the classic. I, I get the point. And then, you know, it's familiar. I'm bored with it. I'll, I'll move on. One, one thing I'll suggest is that I think sometimes, you know, you mentioned like going for like the two star mm-hmm. album, which I, I like doing too. I like digging into things. I think another good tip is sometimes like if you, if you know that there's like a particular album that, is really popular or critically acclaimed. Sometimes like listening to the album right before that or right after that mm. is a good way to go. Like the album that like set up that success or the album that followed that success where oftentimes the artist is like reacting against the success that they just had and going off in a different direction. So to use Bruce Springsteen as an example, instead of listening to Born to Run, maybe go check out The Wild, The Innocent, and The East Street Shuffle. Or instead of born in the usa go to the next record tunnel of love or you know if it's neil young instead of going to harvest go to the records he made after that where he was reacting against that sort of pristine folk ballad style that he was doing records like on the beach or time fades away um because i think sometimes if you do that these artists who seem like really familiar and fixed and you know you feel like you know everything already they start to seem a little bit more fresh and it can be a way to sort of access these artists who are so canonized and make them feel that maybe they're a little more approachable. And so I think that's a good way to do it too. Um, But yeah, like you said, this, we really do live in an era with streaming and this is the, one of the great things about streaming that you can become an expert on an artist like in a week, you know, like you could, you can hear everything that they ever did. You can read articles about them online and, and really kind of get a good feel for who they are in in a relatively short period of time. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty cool thing uh, to be able to think how much I could have accomplished as a 20 year old. If I could compress my like semester long Bruce Springsteen phase into a week, you know, (laughs) All right, so let's get to question four. This is from Mac. Thank you, Mac. With the release of Julian Baker's new album, Fast Approaching, and the the success of Phoebe Bridgers and 
Touche Amore's records last year. I've been thinking about Manchester Orchestra. Phoebe has covered the band, Julian Baker is on the cover of their latest record, and Andy Hall has a feature on Lament, the Touche Amore record. record. Um, I know you wrote a positive review of Black Mountain to the Surface. I think he's talking to you, Ian. Yes. Negative reviews of Simple Math and Cope. And this listener calls Simple Math a good record and Cope their worst record, which I disagree with. Um, But I am curious if you have ever revisited their back catalog and if you think maybe they are due for a critical reappraisal. Their first three records are excellent, particularly mean everything to nothing, in my opinion, and they seem to be influential on both emo rock bands and those in the folk emo singer-songwriter realm. Talking about Phoebe and Julian. Uh, before you answer this, Ian, because I feel like the listener is addressing you more directly than <laughs> me here, I just want to say that like, I actually in I, I actually profiled Manchester uh, Orchestra back when A Black Mouth of the Surface came out in 2017, and I actually like, got to go out to the suburbs of Atlanta, like where the band is based, and you know, we hung out. I hung out in their like they have a house where they re- where they rehearse and record. We went to get sushi and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually making me like nostalgic for when I could still do that, when I could go visit bands personally mm-hmm. and, and 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 interview them, which was really fun. Um, but I feel like you and I disagree a little bit on Manchester Orchestra. I think I probably like them more than than mm-hmm. you do. I and this listener mentioned the album Cope as like their worst record. I actually like really like that record. Um, that came out in 2013. And I'll say that like if you are a person who like generally like doesn't listen to a whole lot of emo music or emo adjacent music, that I think this record would maybe appeal to you more than like some records from that scene. Because like <laughs> to my ears, like Cope to me sounds like Band of Horses with like heavier guitars. You know, like Manchester Orchestra to me, I think. I don't know. I know that they come from like a punk tradition, but like I, when I listen to them, I don't really hear much punk in their music. To me, they sound more like sort of a classic alt rock band, you know, like a band from the nineties or like, you know, maybe like early two thousands. Um, and I feel like they might've been grouped into that scene if they had come out in the nineties, but because they, I think they put out their first record, like in the mid aughts or so. Yeah. That was around the time. Like when, you know, like Brooklyn art rock was ascendant. That was like kind of the defining sound of indie rock and Grizz and, uh, you know, Manchester orchestra was like doing the opposite of that, basically making these very, again, like cathartic, big sounding anthemic, heavy guitar type songs. Um, and again, like cope simple math is a record. I like a lot. I think a black mile to the surface is actually like one of their stronger records too. Um, and that record, there's songs on there that kind of remind me of The National. Like, mm. there's a couple kind of songs like that on that record. So, yeah, I I agree. I think that this is a band that, um, depending on who you talk to, um, they, you know, I think for a certain generation of, like, emo and punk listeners, this is, like, a pretty big band. But, like, people outside of that scene don't seem to know who this band is at all. And I think there's actually, like, a lot of people who maybe have never heard of Manchester Orchestra that would actually really like them. And I would start with Cope. <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm going to have to contradict Mac here. I know Mac isn't a fan of that record, but I would actually say like, if you're, if, if you're a newcomer, that's actually a pretty good place to start, I think. Yeah. So um, by all, by all rights, I mean like this guy suggests like Manchester Orchestra should be a band. I absolutely love, you know, if, regardless of like whether I've enjoyed their music or like 
not. Uh, I do agree with you that it does set like pre cancellation. I said that they sound like brand new meets band of horses. Uh, that's like whether the songs are good or not so good. But yeah, I, I, rem- I want to say like I saw this band open for Sufjan Stevens on the Illinois tour in Athens, Georgia. Like I, I remember coming in and seeing Andy on the stage. Like he played the last song completely solo, walked off the stage without saying anything. And it was just like, man, who's, who's this young guy think he is? It was, uh, you know, really interesting. Um, and he at that time was compared to Jeff Mangum, Connor Ober, Sufjan as well. And it's like, man, this should be absolutely my shit. And so, I mean, if there's any sort of critical myths that we debunk around here, it's that of like critical objectivity. I think that so much of like what we try to put off as like expert opinion is really just more or less based on where we're at in our lives. And as you pointed out, like when Manchester Orchestra is really getting started in earnest with like, I'm a, like, with like, I'm like a virgin losing a child or uh, mean everything. Uh, these, these album names are so complicated. Um, before he did simple math and cope. Um, this was when I, like so many emo kids that I talked to, like they make a real hard pivot into indie rock, like basic indie rock in their late twenties. And yeah, for me, I was fully grizzly bear, fully, uh, art indie, fully chill wave. And, you know, I, I often wonder if like the critical treatment of those first couple of records influenced me as I, as I reviewed, uh, simple math and cope and you know i appreciate what they did i do love a band that's kind of old school alt rock like they would be the sort of band that exists in the 90s and uh you know would have been pretty pretty major back then um but then i listened to a black mile to the surface and it kind of validated where what, what i was saying before because it's like yes this is what i was hoping that manchester orchestra would make the first half of black mile to the surface is just unbelievably good um not unbelievably i think they showed the potential but it's just like such a strong conceptual like big production album and i think it had like three producers working on it and um you know with that with that album i kind of more appreciated uh what they were trying to get to it seemed like a culmination of uh like what andy hole was working on you know i do regret the the reviews I'd written before. I know Andy Hole is not a fan of me. Um, but, you know, I do appreciate what Manchester Orchestra has meant to people who are younger than myself. Like a lot of the artists that you mentioned, I know he's working on the new Foxing record. And God, like I've seen so many of my favorite bands open for Manchester Orchestra um, that I really, really, really wish I liked them more. Um, and you know, I, I think it's worth me going back to those old, like I, I can remember off the top of my head, like songs, like I've got friends, um, or, you know, simple math or virgin that song's like really cool from, uh, that, that album or the ocean from cope. And, you know, maybe they're just like the kind of band that is an alt rock hit maker. You know, if I were like 10 years younger, maybe they'd be like my favorite band on earth. Um, but nowadays I can just appreciate them as perhaps a, one of the, one of the rare, I guess, like contemporary big rock bands that would be best served with a greatest hits album. I think that would be just awesome. And as far as like a critical reassessment, here's the thing. I think most of the places or the critics that would like Manchester Orchestra certainly do. I think if, 
and when they come out with a new record, they're positioned to be probably better received because of the popularity of a black mile to the surface. I know that uh, the gold was like, you could hear that in Whole Foods. Um, I don't think that there's going to be like a huge 180 on them from people who, you know, don't like them. But what I do think you'll see is that that younger audience, that like Phoebe Bridgers age, that like Foxing age, that like Tiger's Jaw age, maybe those are the people who are going to start reviewing Manchester Orchestra albums. And like by default, they're going to be more positively received in like the hipper indie circles. Well, and and again, like this is an example of a band. And I think we've talked about this before where it doesn't really matter like what their no. reviews are. Like they've <laughs> proven not. that they can, they can have a big audience and either be ignored by the press or be sort of treated like uh, as sort of, you know, with, with like, put at a distance you know like not treated with a a ton of respect um and it doesn't matter and to me like that's always the best thing for a band like if you can just communicate directly with your audience and it doesn't really matter like what the press says like you know they might write great things about you they might write bad things or they might ignore you you know the press you know the music press is so fickle that like relying on that i think is always like a recipe for disaster and you know we could talk about bands that have gotten several you know best new musics from from pitchfork that like can't fill like a 250 person club you know and Mm -hmm. meanwhile you have a band like manchester orchestra who you know didn't get great reviews from places you know like the, the the sort of indie tastemakers and they weren't getting like the big profiles written about them and here they are you know coming up on 20 years into their career and you know younger artists are covering their songs they're uh you know they still have a like a like a nice size audience uh you know they they have like a real sort of legacy and 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 connection with with a group of people and you know what more could you want yeah if you're a band yeah i think that it's 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 always a good idea to just try to wait out the critical um you know consensus because most music writers like they have to give up, you know, doing music writing after so many years. And like, you know, sort of like bands, you know, we have to, for the most part, like uh, most writers have to give up and get a real job and they lose interest or they see themselves like kind of being phased out, phased out or washed. And, you know, that like, like you can wait out whatever wave of critical consensus is happening. You know, if you have like actual, like real life people who like your music, the the arc of history bends towards rewarding the popular the popular bands and that's true of pop artists or like even like indie bands that have you know develop a fan base so you know like i don't understand why people try to do things to make people like us happy you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah manchester orchestra you won you do even yeah you into it you've got ian to express uh remorse here for some of the reviews he wrote so i i, yeah. I think that's a that's a that's a win for Manchester Orchestra at this point. It is. So we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I recommend something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right. So this might be kind of cheating because this is, you know, for for all intents and purposes, a friend's band. Now I just want to preface by saying that I have a lot like a lot of people I know personally are in bands and it's you know that that is that is I'm actually like harder I think on people who I know personally that are in bands because a lot of them exist in that sort of space where it's like it's not 
bad. Like it's not like amateurish where you just like kind of cringe, but it's also like not like super awesome. It's like in this space where it's like, would I, would I, would I be more critical of it or more accepting of this if I just straight up didn't know the person? But nonetheless, um, one, I would say a friend of the pod, Keegan Bradford, he's in a band called Camp Trash. Um, and they are putting out a, like him and I talk pretty, pretty constantly about like, you know, the latest goings on emo. Uh, but you know, he was in a band that like, we were all were just like kind of joking. Camp Trash isn't a real band. Like they hadn't put out any music, but they would just get talked about on the internet. But they actually did put out a EP uh, this Friday, the 22nd, uh, on the resurgent Count Your Lucky Stars, uh, a label that put out the first Foxing record, Empire Empire, I Was a Lonely Estate, uh, Joie de Vivre, just an iconic emo label. And they put out their first EP called Downtiming. And um, it's just, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where like you listen to a guy that you know in their music for the first time. It's like, wait, this is... This is like actual good. This is like real good. Uh, and that was the case with uh, Cam Trash. It was like a pleasant surprise. What they do is it's a four song EP that kind of goes in a indie cast core combination of like Gin Blossoms, but also Motion City soundtrack. Just real, um, uh, just like a real straightforward, almost Oso Oso ish pop emo sound that has. You know, some emo tendencies, but not cloying. Uh, it's honestly, you could hear it being on alt rock radio in the 90s, but also you could hear it playing maybe in Fest in, two, in 2012. And I mean, this is a topic for another time, but I'm starting to hear more bands kind of take that uh, Fest 2011, 2013 emo sound and doing it now. I saw someone half jokingly refer to an emo revival revival on the way, which I mean, cool. Like, I haven't written the think piece in four years. It'd be nice to feel relevant again. But um, back to Camp Trash. I mean, if like you like any of the emo-ish leaning bands that we talk about here um, on IndieCast, I think you'll find something to like on uh, their new EP. And moreover, it's like 12 minutes long. So uh, shout out to Keegan. Shout out to all the guys in Camp Trash. Like, I'm not just giving them a shout out because I know them personally. Like, this is an actual... Uh, you know, this is an actual good band. And I think it's been really cool to see, you know, like Stereo Gum and NPR kind of agree with like, hey, like this, there's there's still good stuff coming out of from this sound. So I'm going to plug something of my own in this uh, segment. And that is, I, I did an interview this week with uh, Charles. Is it Bissell or Bissell? I'm not sure. No, I don't know. E- I, I don't know either. I don't talk about the. I, should, I don't talk about this band. The the people in this band uh, in person a lot. Yeah, I uh, I should have asked Charles when I interviewed him. Anyway, Charles from the Wrens, and if you listen to this show, you have probably heard us talk about the Wrens. They're this band that started in New Jersey in 1989. They've put out three records in the last 32 years. Their most recent one is the Meadowlands came out in 20 uh, in 2003. Oh, yeah. um, I think it's a I think it's a masterpiece. Great early aughts uh indie rock record. Um very if, if you're not familiar with that record and, and to kind of circle back to a question we answered earlier in this episode. This is a band that's like pretty easy to catch up with in terms of their discography. <laughs> like if you want to go back, definitely start with the Meadowlands. This is an album that I would say like if you haven't heard this record, I'll just say that like Arcade Fire cited this as an influence on funeral you know like this is like a big sounding anthemic 
record, great lyrics. Uh, and like the band is like basically just like four like working guys. Like, three of them have jobs and Charles is a stay-at-home dad. So they kind of have like a guided by voices, like underdog quality to them as well. Um, and lately, and by lately, I mean like the last like <laughs> decade plus, they've had this sort of inside indie nerd status uh, joke where people are waiting for the follow-up to the Meadowlands. And uh, the Wrens have actually been working on this record since 2010. And I actually, I interviewed Charles back when I worked at Grantland in, in 2013. Oh gosh, R.I.P. And, and, uh, and we talked about this record and at that time it, it sounded like oh maybe the album was going to come out in 2014 uh that of course didn't happen uh so i called up charles again earlier this week and we we talked for an hour about the status of the wrens album and i'll let you read the piece um because he talks about where the record is at and if it's going to be coming out this year he actually also like let me hear seven songs from the record. And uh, as long as I didn't say any song titles or, <laughs> you know, be too specific about what they sound like. And I'll just say that, like, I think they're pretty fantastic. Like, I, I thought it sounded great. And, like, you can tell that a lot of time has been uh, sort of taken to put these songs together because there's a real sort of sophisticated architecture about how songs flow in and out of each other um but it's also it doesn't sound stale or labored it's a very immediate sounding record it sounds like the natural sequel to the meadowlands like if you love the meadowlands uh, based on what i've heard i think this is going to be a really great record so hopefully it'll see the light of day soon there's more details in my story so go to uprocks.com to read that and yeah hopefully we'll have a new rens record this year knock on that it that is like a Doug Emhoff-sized flex to say that you've heard seven songs from this Renz album. Um, and also, like, the hour that he spent talking to you could have been an hour he spent actually putting this record out. So I'm kind of <laughs> mad. I'm kind of mad this interview exists. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it had to be done. It had to be done. We're feeding the beast. We're feeding the, the, the hype beast. And hopefully we'll get more people into that band. Uh, yes. You know, all the young, like people who were born the year the Meadowlands came out, they're going to be able to vote in 2021. Like, that's how mm. long it's been since the last Renz record. So, there's a whole generation of people who have no idea who this band is, and hopefully, they will go back and listen to that record, especially because I think if you like this show, I think you will love that album. Yeah. Uh, so, that brings us to a close here on this episode of IndieCast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.